This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I am your host, Erica Lance, and with me is my one of my wonderful co-hosts that pop in is... J.M. Paquette. J.M. Paquette. Woo-woo. Okay. So, um, yes, Austin couldn't be with us because he's sailing, whatever bull crap that is. Um, so we have an amazing author here today, and I'm very fortunate because she is also a friend of mine. Her name is Connie Harris. Welcome, Connie. Thanks, Erica. I'm really happy to be here. I am so glad you're here. This this is also Connie's first podcast, so we're going to make it as difficult as humanly possible. On <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. First, we always go over what we're drinking, and I decided to drink what Connie was drinking today because she requested it, and it's Pacific Rim Sweet Riesling Wine. I'm reading that off of my phone in case you're wondering why it sounded totally fucking weird. Okay. <laughs> but it's really yummy. This is, was a good idea. Yeah, I like Riesling. Oh, yes. No, I could definitely drink an entire several Bottle. bottles of this yeah. yes, by myself, lonely in the dark with ice cream. <laughs> That's only happened a few times. Okay, so first let's talk about your books. So you brought two of them with us, right? right. Which is Forever in Ocala and The Bounty on Forever. So give us your elevator pitch about your books. Okay, well, the first book was called The Book of My Heart. Every author knows about the book of their heart. Uh, it, it's uh, Heroin is an equine veterinarian, and my daughter is an equine veterinarian. So that's wow. where I got my inspiration was watching her go through like nine years of tormented school. <laughs> tormented school. If you want to be a veterinarian, everyone out there, tormented school is in your future. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, she just really inspired me. She did a residency out in Texas, um, Weatherford, Texas, which is, I think, a little west of Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And I went out to visit her, and they had her working 70 hours a week. Wow. Uh, yeah. And it was all male. I, I drove her there in her little Honda. We pulled up in the parking lot. It was all pickup trucks with gun racks in the back. And I said, welcome to Texas, Ariel, and uh, have a good time. And uh, (laughs) the guy that owned the place told her, he said, you know, before this is over, he said, I'm going to make you cry. She goes, no, you're not. So for an entire year, she didn't cry, no matter what they threat her, including doing necropsies out in the field of a dead horse in the middle of winter. Everything they threw at her, she handled At the end, when it was time for her to come back to Florida, I almost didn't get her back, but I got her back to Florida. They gave her a goodbye party, and he presented her with a bonus check of about $5,000. And he said, you were awesome. He said, we really loved having you here. And she cried. And he went, (laughs) got (laughs) you. Well, that I, that I don't mind crying. I'll cry. Yeah. Just as a side note to any listeners, if you hand me a check for five grand, I will cry <laughs> right. on you. Live can, tears. Yes, live tears. I can make that happen. Whatever kind I can, pretty cry or ugly cry, you just let me know. But that's yeah. awesome. So That's how it got started for me. That's really how it got started. And on the other side, uh, the, uh, the hero 
is a Navy SEAL. And I had the privilege, I lived in Los Angeles for about four or five years. I was running a cosmetic company out there, which has nothing to do with being an author, but... Um, <laughs> it I, might. <laughs> you have to make yourself up every day. That's right. <laughs> um, and I, I met a SEAL, and I was fascinated by the background, the stories, the confidence, the... Uh, Machismo, just everything about this guy was fascinating to me. And he got me in to the top secret unit in Coronado, California, where they train all the SEALs and they do the BUDS, which is basic underwater demolition SEAL training. And I got to see all these young guys out there with these, you know, boats on their heads running around. And and they call them uh, Catch Me, Fuck Me shorts. They wow. were in catch me, fuck me shorts. That's what they call them. I, I'll call them that too. I'm assuming we can tell what religion they are. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I was very inspired on the other end. This podcast, <laughs> the catch me, fuck me podcast. <laughs> oh, I enjoy you. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, that's what inspired the hero. Okay. Uh, it was just that experience and being around them. And uh, he introduced me to another seal who's a hero in the second book. Uh, who was a Navy SEAL corpsman, which is like a medic in the Army. And uh, he took his experience um, as a corpsman. And in California, what you can do is you can transfer your military experience as a nurse into real nursing. And he now works as a trauma nurse at the Ronald Reagan Trauma Unit in Los Angeles. Wow. Wow. Inspired by true events. And you said it in Ocala, which is in Florida. Yeah, I am a Florida author. So, um, and I think Ocala is one of the prettiest places in the state. I mean, it's just unsurpassed for beauty, in my opinion, uh, other than the beach. Um, And it's horse country. And the first book has a lot of horses because she's an equine vet. The second book starts in Los Angeles because the seal, the hero, is in Los Angeles working as a nurse. And he meets the heroine out there. Oh, wow. Uh, but then they eventually end up in Florida because I'm a Florida author. No, that makes perfect, <laughs> perfect, perfect sense. Very cool. Okay, so um, you are, you, I'm going to say this because I'm not a spring chicken either. We're not spring chickens, and you nope. are now a writer. So what happened? What made you decide to finally take the plunge? Well, that's a good question. Um, I used to be, before my corporate world experience, I was an English teacher. Woo-woo. Oh, what? what? <laughs> J.M. Paquette is also an English teacher. Well, so. that's what started it. Um, I loved reading and writing growing up, and I, have a, I still have uh, an entire portfolio of poems, um, short stories, songs. I used to play guitar and write songs, just anything that had to do with words. Um, and I always had that in the back of my mind that one day I would try to publish something. Uh, but I hadn't thought about writing a whole novel. I was, it was just poems. I wanted to publish my poems. Um, so that's what started it. I've always had this little seed in my head. But, you know, life happens and, you know, you get married and then I had a baby and then you got to support that baby and then you got to get them through vet school for nine years and then, (laughs) you know what I mean? And, and authors, you know, starting as an author, people don't maybe realize how hard it is. I mean, there's a lot of competition. Uh, They have hundreds of manuscripts hitting their desks every day. What's to keep me from, you know, being in the trash pile? So I started doing my homework. I joined a big local writers group, Tampa Area Romance Authors, 
and I started learning the craft. Uh, I went to all the workshops. Um, I went to the national conventions. I just started trying to learn. I started reading romance, and I found that I really liked it as a genre. Um, it was fun to read. Even the suspense, you know, I knew at the end there'd be a happy ending because romance typically ends with a happy ending or an expected maybe perhaps happy ending. Yeah. And in life, sometimes we don't have happy endings. So I thought, if I write, I'm going to write happy endings for people. I'm going to entertain people. That's very cool. So yeah. when did um, Forever in Ocala come out? Uh, I think it was like three or four years ago, I think it came out. Um, and as I said, when you're traditionally published, it takes a while to write the book, submit the book. Then you got to get the book cover. The blurb has to be approved. There's three edits. In my particular publishing companies, there's three edits. Each one of those, you know, per your contract, takes a bit of time. And then there's also life. <laughs> life is continuing. And then life, life gets in the way. That's right. It does. No, it does. So how it takes long, a lot of discipline. How long do you think it took you to write this book? I'd say the actual process of writing it, maybe uh, six months to a year. I'd say a year mm-hmm. because I didn't write all day every day. I tried to write a little bit each day. How much do you think? Are you, do you consider yourself a fast writer or a slow writer? Um, I consider myself a slow writer. I mull over every word choice, especially trying to get active verbs, making sure that the pacing in the book is flowing while I'm... You know, over here I'm thinking about the characterization. You know, are they deep enough? Are they shallow? Like it's all going on in my head. So that oh, slows me down. No, I, <laughs> trust me, authors' heads slow them down all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, what is your process? Did you start with an idea, a plot? How do you begin? Um, how I begun was I did have the idea. I thought I I don't know of a book with a heroine, at the time I started this, at a heroine who's a large animal vet who's a female because veterinary medicine, large animal medicine, is predominantly male or it was. Mm -hmm. So I thought, that's a good idea. And why don't I have her, like, have her father die in Beirut as a Marine in the uh, Beirut bombing? I think it was 1982 or three. Why don't I have her father die? Why don't I have her brother get injured in Afghanistan and be in a wheelchair? And why don't I have her really not like military men right before she meets one? Well, (laughs) welcome to the plot of a romance book. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Lots of conflict. Conflict is key. There's got to be some sort of conflict or barrier because then what's the point? Yeah, well, it's... It's interesting for romance because it really is one of the, I would say, easiest tropes on the surface, you know, internal conflict, external conflict, resolve, resolve, happy ending, you know, kind of thing. Um, But it's interesting sometimes tying all those pieces together. What did you always write romance? You said you had a bunch of short stories and songs and poems. Has it always been about love? No. Okay. Um, My first, my first poem. Exclamation point. (laughs) My first poem was actually an anti-war poem that I wrote. I was in graduate school at East Carolina University a long time ago, and uh, I was very opposed to the Vietnam War. I was not opposed to the military per se. It wasn't that. It was just about the idea of of war, right? Mm -hmm. And what happened was I was dating a guy that was in a fraternity, and back then there was the draft, which I was also opposed to. 
and um, his buddies were coming back from Vietnam very messed up. In fact, one of them came back, and he'd been in Army intelligence, and we went to visit him, and my boyfriend said to me, keep an eye out for the dog piles because he's so stoned all the time, he never cleans up after his puppy. So we then started calling this house the dog shit house. Let's oh go goodness. visit Mo at his dog shit house because we'd have to dodge the dog piles that he would never clean up because he was so stoned. So, I mean, it was based on experience, but I wrote a poem, and um, my one of my graduate school professors had me read it in front of the class, and uh, it just it goes, you know, for these, these moments, you know, and the, the name of the poem is, I Got News My Brother Died Today. So it goes through this whole poem and talks about, you know, my brother died and this, that, and it never gives away. The last line is, I got news my brother died today because his eyes were slanted. And the whole class was like, <gasps> oh, wow. And yeah. I just sort of had to sit down at that point. I mean, everybody was just, it was just dead silence in the classroom. And that's what got me started, you know. And um, it hasn't always been about romance for me. I mean, that was sort of a political time and a political time for me. So some of my poems were political. Some of them were romance, but they were more like fantasy romance, like the knight on the white horse comes charging. And some of my poems were very spiritual. Oh, wow. Um, I wrote one called To a Spirit. And it was very ethereal, you know, so it just sort of varied on my mood. Uh, but what got me started on romance was I was reading Nora Roberts' books, who's the queen of romance. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I was just reading them, and I was like, oh, man, I can't put this thing down. I, I just love it. It's easy. It's, you know, it's... Um, it's just, it's beautifully written. I know I'm not going to have nightmares after re- after reading this. Uh, and so, you may be talking about my books. <laughs> and so much of the world sometimes is so negative, you know, so divided. Um, I just thought maybe it would be good to counteract some of that. No, it makes sense. Um, so was it a surprise that your first book was about a Marine? If you, After coming from writing poetry that was anti-war poetry, did you ever imagine that you would write a book about a, your hero? No, I did not. <laughs> In fact, uh, only recently have Navy SEALs come to the forefront, and, you know, mainly because of Rob O'Neill and his book and you know the fact that he killed Osama bin Laden. He, he sort of, they came out to the light. I mean, they've very been very much a secretive organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's a saying in the SEAL teams that says um, what goes on in the SEAL teams stays in the SEAL teams. But now it's sort of come out more with some of them writing books. Um, but I didn't even know what a Navy SEAL was. My father was in the military. He was in the Army. My nephew, my brother, they were all in the Army. I knew nothing about the Navy or sailors. Um, so it definitely was definitely sort of a change for me personally. I went from that period in my life um, to a different period in my life where I just became much more aware of the military, what they do, how they serve, how the hardships of the, really the hardships of the family left behind, the wives and children. And I actually became very active in the Navy SEAL Foundation. Um, I go to their events, their fundraisers. You can see me on Facebook at six o'clock in the morning out on the causeway for the Navy SEAL swim annually. Uh, and it's, wow. a, it's a fundraiser, and I'm invited, and I get to sit with the Gold Star families. And um, 
you know, I've really talked to a lot of wives and children that had their parents now, because it's also the mothers, killed in service, and it's very hard. Uh, so the Navy SEAL Foundation, and on my first book, I gave 10% of my royalties to them, because what they do is they go out and support the wives and children of the fallen warriors, whether it's scholarships, therapy, uh, summer camp, uh, housing, food, clothes, whatever they need. And I got real involved uh, with that organization. So that's what the sort of the turning point was for me, where I really appreciated what they were doing a lot more. Wow. Okay, and then book two. So yeah. how long did book two take you? When did book two get released? It's recent. It yeah. just recently Jan- got released, right? the end of right? January, I think, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm going to read this. Author Austin normally reads the... I'm going to make you read it, Jen. Austin normally reads the back of the book. Read the back of... Former Navy SEAL Tony Franco is convinced his past is behind him. He now thrives as an emergency room nurse, but after learning there's a bounty on his head, he will stop at nothing to protect those closest to him, including the new woman in his life, fiery Zumba instructor Sierra Sanchez. Troubled by his secrecy and the escalating close calls, Sierra resists the sexual chemistry sizzling between them, but Tony's charismatic bedside manner disarms her. As desire heats up, danger edges closer, threatening their lives and putting them there forever in the crosshairs. That's cool. I like that. Forever in the crossing. That's a good image. <laughs> that is That's a nice. good image. Okay. So how long did... I wrote that. <laughs> yes. It's, well, it's brilliant, my friend. Thank so you. So how long did this one take you? Um, this one didn't take as long to, <coughs> to write, but it took a lot long longer to edit, to get edited. I had a brand new editor. You go ahead and drink your wine. It's fine. <laughs> if you choke on cheese here, don't do that. We don't have a lot of liability insurance here. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you try to talk and eat salami at the same time. You should pay attention to that, Val. <laughs> I tease her. She's another friend that does co-hosting sometimes, but she nervous eats and will talk. And I'm like, you're just going to choke yourself here eventually. <laughs> so um, it took you a lot longer on the editing. So comparatively, how long did it take you to write this one? Um, well, I had already the idea, you know, the plot from knowing the seal, knowing he'd become a nurse and he had told me a lot of stories. So I sort of used some of that and put it into fiction. So I'd say this one took me under a year, say 10 months. Very cool. Yeah. Now that's, you know, writing it, doing the blurb, the synopsis that's going back through myself and editing it before I submit. That's like the whole shebang. And then how long did it take to get edited? Uh, she rolled her eyes. You can't see that right now, but she did. It's a thing. And hopefully my publisher won't listen no, to this. No, the publishers are awesome. <laughs> Connie's publisher is amazing. <laughs> it, the best. He, it is actually a great publisher. She, they are a great group. They've kept every agreement with me. But I had a brand new editor. And she was the type of person that when she would correct something I said in my, in my manuscript, she'd do it in capital letters. Oh, so that was... She so was, she was so yelling at you yeah, the whole time. she was screaming at me the whole time. Don't use caps unless you really want to yell at somebody. So um, <laughs> it took you a little longer. Are you working on the next one? I am. I already have that plotted out, and I've started writing it because my critique partner says I'm too slow, that I've got to speed it up. Uh, so. As a publisher, I will tell you the numbers you've given me are too slow. You yeah. need to speed it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a few other things I do in my life. Well, but. nothing should be what you do other than writing. That's, that's right. That's what, that's what a says. publisher will say. So um, what is the next one about? The next one is the third book in the series. 
and it was sort of by request. Um, there's a character in the book who's the brother of the heroine in the first book named John Armstrong, and he was injured. He was a Marine, went into the military just like his father. He was injured in Afghanistan and had to come home in a wheelchair, <clears throat> and he's now a paraplegic. And so many people, when they wrote reviews, said they loved this character because in spite of the fact that he went from being serving as a Marine to being in a wheelchair, he was not bitter. Uh, he was making the most out of his life. And, uh, but uh, in the sec- he's also in the second book. He gives away his sister. She gets married, and he gives away his sister. And people just like this character. So I decided the third book's going to be John's book. Oh, wow. And uh, it's called forevertheone.com. Oh. And he has to go online to find someone because he's convinced that he's broken, that no woman's going to want him in a wheelchair. Oh, wow. So he goes online, and he starts having these dates. And I got to tell you, as an aside, the idea I got from this was from my gynecologist who, while he was giving me my annual exam... <laughs> We're going deep, deep <laughs> We're going deep. Things. This is how I get my ideas. You wanted to know my writing process. <laughs> oh, I love this. So he's, guy so he's got me up in the, in, the, in the stirrups, and he's, you know, under the sheet, and he's, like, talking to me, and he's gotten divorced recently. His wife has run off with her personal trainer. And so he's looking for love online, and he started telling me about some of his experiences on his dates, especially when they found out that he was a medical doctor and had money and drove up in his eighty or $100,000 sports car, the things that they offered him. Um, he started telling me in great detail about those experiences, and I thought, oh, would this be great in a book? I said, um, by the way, you know I'm an author, right? Yeah. Can I use these in a book? He was like, sure. Here's my cell phone number. I know you're not a stalker, so I'm going to tell you you can call me anytime. Ask me for more details. Wow. <laughs> the, uh, the, the fountain doth run over for material. I don't know how I feel about your gyno giving you a cell phone number, but... Whatever he did see you, he did see everything, so he, he knows did. what he's getting into. For, he's looking for, for twenty years, he saw it for twenty years. Oh so wow, we're we're close friends. And then there's extreme static happening over there, my friend. You have no idea. Okay, that's fine. Okay, well, why don't we real quick because there's a little static happening on those mics. Why don't we take a quick break and we will be back with Connie Harris in moments for you guys. This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. We're back. Wow, you're much louder. Hi. Hi, Eric. How are you? Okay. Are we back? <laughs> We're back. Okay. We're back, and hopefully with fewer technical difficulties, and I just made my microphone really loud, so now I can hear myself. Okay, we're back with Connie Harris. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Okay, so Connie, who are your favorite authors? Who is your inspiration? Um, the author that I'm reading right now is Marie Force. Okay. She had a series called The Fatal Series, and I think I've read all 17 of her books. Uh, she's a romance author, romantic suspense, and I love her characters. She has a female 
heroine that's a homicide detective in the D.C. area. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I just, I really like her characters. The other one is I'm really uh, like Vince Flynn, who's past, but I've read all of his books. Those are more like political thrillers. Oh, wow. And and I've also been reading, I sometimes read two or three books at the same time. Uh, Jen does that. I don't. I don't yeah, know. I, do. I can't yeah. do that. I get I mean, forget I'll, what story I'm in. I'm like, why is there not a clown in this story? Oh, it's a romance. Never mind. I like okay. the variety. Oh, I do have a clown in my book. <laughs> <laughs> or two. Tagline: I have a clown in my book. Yeah, that's a great tagline. I like that is. That. I have a clown. Hashtag clowning. Yes. <laughs> So, so you like the thrillers and the romance? You like, yeah, I like these political thrillers. And uh, like I was mentioning, I think before we started recording, was I'm following Jack Carr, who mm-hmm. was a former Navy SEAL sniper, and uh, got in with the right people, I guess. Brad Thor and some of those guys. They got him a contract with Simon and Schuster. Oh, that's got to be nice. It's really, I'm sure it's really nice. And I've read his first two books, and I mean, I was just doom, doom, turning those pages. Uh, they were totally political thrillers with you know heavy military. Uh, I loved them. I've already pre-ordered his third book, Savage Son, and I'm following him on Instagram. He even liked my Instagram pictures the other day. I wish oh, I could sort of like save that. You can. <laughs> you can. Trust collection. me. Collection. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm famous. Look at other famous people liking me. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's what I do. I'll read like, you know, some romance and I'll throw in a little political thriller with a little military Well, and it's interesting because on the break we were talking about this, but it leads me to bring this up because a lot of authors obviously listen to this podcast. If you talk to Austin, it's dozens and dozens. (laughs) (laughs) He teases all the time. The four listeners we have regularly. There's more than four of you and we appreciate every single one of you. But is you bought all 17 in a series for authors out there. That's an important point because that's kind of a what you should aspire to go to you can write the great american novel but if people like your work they'll keep clicking buy 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 and you almost want to have it fed to them when they're ready done with the next one click buy the next one click buy the next one click buy the next one and you make an interesting point because although i loved her fatal series and i bought all of the books i jumped from that to this other book she wrote that was had a navy seal in it i thought i'm going to see and I hated the book. I did not review it because I don't like giving bad reviews to other authors. It's painful for everyone. So I, if I can't give at least a three-star, I won't review it. So I didn't say anything, but the book was horrible. The the This was not, I mean, it was not factual. It wasn't how Navy SEALs act. It wasn't, you know, how things would be. And I know enough about it now from all my research and uh, I didn't like the the heroine. I thought she was weak and and wasn't loyal. And I was just like, what is this author thinking? So, it's interesting. I and she came out with a second book to that one. I won't even consider buying it. Same author, but I really like this one series. I did not, and I haven't tried any of her other series. She has other series as well. That's interesting because mm-hmm. as a, as readers, we get to have a different sort of very unique look on. Um, as a reader versus as an author. And it's interesting when people write um, certain things, you come to expect that of them. Like you come to expect a strong heroine. And you you brought up a point that I, I would like to bring up too. And I know Jen has a lot of feedback on this point too, is 
do your fucking research on right. a topic. Oh my god, like right. it is it is horrible. Like when I was writing a story one time and I was trying to send her it in Boston, Massachusetts. And I've been to Boston, but I haven't really been to Boston. I didn't live there. But I was trying to make a point of a certain area and a certain weather condition. I was like, that happens in Boston. And I wrote the the story, and it was one of my earlier stories. And the editor I had went, have you ever been to Boston? And I was like, what did I do wrong? And she's like, nobody would have a fucking car where you're talking about. They would take the train. Like, they wouldn't have a car. It's too expensive to have a car. They wouldn't have a car. And I went, oh, and that sounds dumb, but literally anyone who knows Boston, lives in Boston, would think my story was complete garbage if it if I hadn't changed that piece of it. Because it knocks you out of the story as a reader. When yes. you know something, like we live in Florida, we know how Florida weather is. So if I read a book set in Florida where somebody's like outside in long sleeves and they're not dying from humidity, I'm like, mm, I don't think you've been to Florida. Like, And all of a sudden I remember I'm reading a book and the magic is gone. So, no, yeah. it's, it's true. And it's horrible when you knock somebody out. So if you're going to write, like I'm in the middle of writing a serial killer thing right now. I've done a lot of research on serial killers. I don't want to talk about that because I could be found guilty later, but um, I am literally trying to decide on the law enforcement I'm putting in this book because I have to know enough about this and enough about the procedures, not because everybody, for instance, is an FBI agent, but it's got to be believable. Who would be involved in this situation at which point in time? Or just write fantasy and make it all up. Yes, there's that. But there's another thing to that is yeah. paranormal fantasy, but you still have to keep track of what are the rules what are the that rules you put in my world. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of um, authors uh, get excited about writing and sometimes forget that part of it. Like if you're going to write on a topic that you are not an expert on, research. The internet is there. The internet is there for researching. And go to like respectable places on the internet. Don't just go to like the first thing on Google because random people will tell you things that aren't real, aren't true. Right. And it's also talk to people. You know, like I've talked to a number of Navy SEALs personally about their experiences. Go to the source Mm -hmm. of it. Uh, For my first book, I have a scene in the book where the heroine who's an equine veterinarian gets called in on an emergency at a farm. That's how she ends up getting that job. And there's an entire birthing scene in there. The mayor is in trouble. She's trying to get the baby out and the vet comes in. And it took me a long time to get it straight. Every time I would think I had it and send it to my daughter, she'd go, no, mom, the mayor would not do that. She's lifting her hind legs. I was like, oh, Okay, so then I would write it again and send it to her. No, Mom, the vet would never say that, right? And it's important, I think, because one of my reviews and the one on Amazon that said, and the last name is Harris, but she's really not related to me. That's a plug. She did not pay her daughter to write that review. (laughs) No, it said some other lady with the last name of Harris, but she said, I love this book. She said, I even learned a few things about birthing a horse that I never knew. But it's important to get the research right because, you know, this other author obviously did not talk to a Navy SEAL and did not really research when they go on an op, you know, that they have to cut all communication with every single person forever the entire time they're on the op. And they have, they have ways of communicating to their family. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that I think that's that's very important. It's kind of like... I, I was watching, um, I, I watched a lot of true crime shows on TV again, 
do I have friends. They'll tell you where I was instead of checking my browser history. <laughs> um, but one of the things I realized is like a lot of times they do just these DNA things. Like they did a DNA test and it was back in 48 hours. That doesn't happen. Nowhere does that happen. Nowhere does DNA tests come back in 48 hours. Most places are, you know, deluge seven years from DNA tests being done. Luckily, there's a lot of celebrities stepping up and putting money into this to help get this done. But there's a lot of rape kits that are sitting like in Los Angeles, for instance, that are years and years and years old because they haven't gotten to doing it. So don't put in your book that blah, blah, DNA, blah, 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 because it doesn't, that's not a thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're um, in this third book, it, um, the heroine is a uh, game warden. So she's in law enforcement in Texas. The one that he ends up, you know, liking and finding online that isn't a total crazy bitch. Uh, and... <laughs> And I mean, there's like the bunny lady, there's the lady that he takes to like a five-star restaurant that shows up with holes in her jeans and bright red lipstick and big hair. I mean, there's, there's all these funny dates that he goes on going, I just don't think I'm ever going to find love while I'm in a wheelchair. Oh, oh, I think that regardless of the wheelchair, that man would have a hard <laughs> time with online dating. Yeah. Online dating is one of the most dangerous things you can do in the world. It's almost, you know, go hunt grizzly bears with your bare hands you probably have a better shot than online and that dating. would fit in well with your book yes <laughs> because uh as an aside my daughter met her husband online she met him um, match.com and um it turns out he's okay but no but, it's it those are the exceptions not the rules because but humans are just fucking weirdos like, i mean i i used to say you know ariel if you're gonna go online to date like how do you know it's not a serial killer she goes mom you're a writer of course you'd say that i go no really i also watch television <laughs> and you know just be careful and she's like don't worry you know i've talked to other girls who've done online dating and i've got it down like you know you meet at starbucks and then you take the long way home lots of turns and you know, and make sure you're not followed. And, and I was like, got all this for a date. You should do, you should do the writing guide to online dating. That yeah. would be cool. That would be yeah. hysterical. Yeah. No. I've thought about doing rom-com. I've thought about doing romantic comedy. Oh, I think it's funny. Uh, me and um, Austin, who's my normal co-host, we wrote a book together called 72% Match. And it literally, the tagline is online dating works, right? <laughs> And it doesn't. They're terrible doesn't. people. No, it no. does not work. Okay, so um, you are a plotter. You are not a pantser, my friend. In the writing world, you like to plot. Well, you know, people accuse me of being a pantser, but I do initially plot it out. And I, what I do is I do backwards. I write my synopsis first. And I, you know, so that's my form of plotting is I'm writing the synopsis, which is sort of a dirty word for authors, but I don't mind writing them. And uh, once I've written the synopsis, then I start putting it into, you know, the manuscript. And once I'm writing, though, I'm not plotting anymore. It's just all for broke. I'm just, I'm just creating as I go. I'm just like, okay, what if this happened? Okay, what if she gaslighted her? Okay, oh yeah, okay. And off I go. So then I become a full-blown pantser. Wow. So you um, start with your pants on and then take them <laughs> off for the writing. Well, it's it's interesting because uh, we talk to a lot of people and I think it's good to, um, like, I think outlining is good. I know some people that are just pantsers and just start and go and... No, I don't do that. Jen, no. 
house. I, I do. Yeah. And then I never know where it ends because I didn't figure it out at the beginning. And then finally I call Erica and I'm like, all right, my, I need it to end. How should it? I just need it to just stop writing. She's like, I'm four million words in right now. And I'm like, what? How the hell did you get four million words into this story? Um, but <clears throat> I think it's true. I think there are some people that just an I, I still consider them kind of pantsers if you use an outline to just have some idea where you're going. You're still in the mm-hmm. pants arena. You might be in like, you know, capri pants instead of full on <laughs> pants, but you're in pantses. Um, do you get writer's block at all? No. No? No, I don't get writer's block. I get the dog needs to go to the vet. Mm-hmm. The cat swallowed a big piece of hard rubber and needs surgery. Um, my daughter has a baby. Um, no, I get that. So life, life yeah. happening. I don't ever get writer's block. If I if I punch out the time to sit down with my computer, I can go. That's really cool because it's interesting. Growing up, I, I you know as a writer, um, I always heard about writer's block, like where you sit and just stare at, the, stare at the screen. And I've yet to meet a single person that just sits and stares at their screen, like that they can't think of anything to do. And I'm like wondering if this is like a made-up thing in the industry to get people not to write for fear that you'd stare at a blank screen. Maybe if you're a full-time writer, you have time to sit and stare at a screen. I think if you're doing it like we are, you know, we have day jobs and then you go home and you write, you're like, I only have, you know, 45 minutes right now. I'm going to use that 45 minutes. And I will give you another little insight. I had the privilege of actually personally talking to Nora Roberts at a convention, like sitting down with her in a small venue and personally talking to her. And she's a fiery little Irish woman. She's a little petite Irish woman and she's hilarious. And one of the people in the room, there were like five of us that got to sit and talk to her. One of them said, do you ever get writer's block? And she goes, I don't believe in that. She goes, and then they said, well, how would you handle it? And she said, I would sit my ass in the chair and put my fingers on the fucking keyboard and we all just went okay said like the little irish woman yeah no i think it's true i think if you get wrapped up or you're you're stuck on something like go pick up something else and write it don't Mm -hmm. stop writing you know because i i I don't know i get inspired a lot in the shower i don't know about you guys because you're not doing anything else yeah Yeah. while i'm salsing (laughs) when you're salsing yeah when i'm salsing sometimes they'll be like going left and i'm going right because i've got this great plot idea and they're all smiling at me because they know what's going on (laughs) and i've even said that you know in my biography because it really happens to me it's the best creative space for me is when I'm dancing. The problem is it's, <laughs> you're missing the steps. <laughs> you're running into your co- right. your co-partners in the writing. Right. I mean, the dancing. Okay. Yeah, I've been drinking wine. I like wine. <laughs> me and wine are friends. I finished both glasses that I've had. I'm so, feeling warm all over. Are you? Yeah. Yeah, no, I... I I'm, hey, it's an excuse to I, get drunk with people I like. I am hydrated. <laughs> she's hydrated. I just want to say, Jen's not even drinking soda anymore, listening audience. Now she's just drinking water because she's being healthy. No, because I died of the flu a few weeks ago, and I still can't drink soda. It's too sweet. Just the flu, not the coronavirus. No, no. no. Uh, well, just the regular old flu because I'm dumb and didn't get a flu shot. Okay, well, you're boring. Boring I'm, people. I'm in that group. Oh, I don't yeah. get them either. Yeah, no. I should have. Yeah, no humans breathing on mm. us. Okay, so... um. What so you have the third book? Do you have mm-hmm. any other 
um, things that you're looking at doing? Are you going willing to go into any other genres, or do you want to stay in the romance genre? No, I've been branching out with my ideas, and I've plotted out a paranormal, which I mentioned earlier. I did in a sauna with the help of all the other people in the sauna. We uh-huh. did the characters and all these things together. And I told him I'd give them all credit in the book. I have no idea who these people are, but that's fine. I you can give them credit and to the people in the sauna. And hopefully, your editor won't change that dedication. Right, exactly. <laughs> to the gals in the sauna. Yeah. Um, to anyway, and then I, yeah, to the sweaty bitches in the sauna. Your face. That's more what I would say. You should say. Um, and then I have a conspiratorial book uh, because they're big. Let's face it. Conspiracy books are big, whether you agree with it or not. And I had this idea, and I started writing it down, and I shared it with another writer. She said, Connie, that is a go. That is a book you need to write. And uh, so I plotted, I plotted that out as well. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So how do we get you to write faster? <laughs> Honey, how do we get you to write your stuff faster? What do we got to do? Let's see. Well, I can um, delete a lot of other things out of my life. and um, I think that's true with all of us as authors. Yeah. Is it life is. Happens. And, you know, I'm a person that believes in sort of having a full life. Like, I like plants. I have 40 house plants. I have a cat and a big German shepherd. And, I mean, I'm really a believer in having a full life, like having every area of my life sort of blossoming. I I have a house. You know, I love working on my house, decorating my house, working in the yard. Like, I like doing all those things. I like being with friends. And I got to tell you something. I didn't used to really like other females that much. I found them catty and had to watch my back a lot when I was younger. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm a little bit older... And I'm no threat to anyone. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say that. Your gynecologist was all about that. <laughs> he was like, well, here's so, my number. Here's your number. Here's that doesn't number. happen all the time. Rich no. doctor. So I uh, know he was adorable. But anyway, um, but now I find that, you know, most of the authors I hang out with are females. There are a few males, but mostly they're females. And I'm really enjoying it. I'm enjoying just going to a movie together, uh, going to a convention, um, you know, just doing whatever we do. I went skydiving with another author. And, uh, you know, and I like doing, I want to do things like that. I've been whitewater rafting twice. There's a big trampoline place in Tampa. I want to go do that for an afternoon. Like, I really like these adventures I'm having now, which I felt like I never had time for earlier in my life and never really had the big group of female friends to enjoy them with. No, I think that makes sense. It was interesting as Steph Post was talking about this a little bit. And she was talking about the fact is, though, that she has to put, like, when she goes into writing mode for a book and stuff, she puts a lot of those things on hold. And you almost, again, you have to treat it like whether you call it a profession or a job or something, you have to carve out that time. And it takes time to write, whether you're really fast at writing or not. And there are different Mm -hmm. people like Jen, for instance, can write really, really fast when she wants to. 
Um, I'm not nearly as fast as she is, but you have to sit down if you want to get X book out and take the time. But I agree with you 100%. I think life's an adventure, and if you don't have fun living life, right. then you get to the end of it, and what the fuck was that all for, you know? Right. Now, I will tell you that my critique partner, who is my former editor, has given me an assignment, and she's assigned me to writing 500 words a day. She goes, and I'm going to hold you to it. I'm going to be your slave driver. I want to see you put out more books. And she's really been an ally. Uh, it's, it's turned out so well because I knew her from nobody when she edited that first book. And then she retired and moved to Florida. And now we write together every Thursday. And that is my writing day. I take a day off from work. I just sit down. And we either Recently we've been doing a lot of marketing because the book just got released. But we'll sit there and write. She'll sit on one side. I'll sit on the other side, a burger monger. And we'll just write. And it's a great, and I love writing with other people. It really gets me going. Accountability um, is really important. Yeah. I, I talked about this, but I have a friend that we, we do the accountability game. He has to make music and I have to write. And if I don't, I have to take the stairs. And my <laughs> office is on the third floor and I'm super lazy. So every day, if I don't write, then I know the next day I can't take the elevator. And that alone will get me to, okay, I died from the flu, so that didn't count. I didn't write. But having like a punishment if I don't do it is really motivating for me. You know, I don't have a punishment other than she's mad at me. Mm-hmm. But um, and that other can than be a punishment, and other than I don't get more books out, and I'm also working on uh, extricating myself from the ownership of this company, uh, so that I don't have to be involved with this other comp- with this company. And I've I've hired somebody to take over a lot of my jobs. Um, she just went on maternity leave, but when she comes back, <laughs> I'll be giving that back to her. So I am working toward that, you know, um, so that I can have more time to write. I think that's great. And I think it's interesting because, um, when I sit down with authors and authors we work with and really make them put like on a spreadsheet, what are you trying to write? Like everything you want to write, put all your ideas on a uh, Google doc and then put when you, uh, anticipate getting them done and when you want them up for pre-order because when you want them up for pre-order also tells you when you want them done yes because you need to have them done depending on your um, publisher at least a few months before the pre-order date if you're a traditional publisher it might be 10 years before the pre-order date because <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous but um but that alone having that sort of thing and it's not whimsical and it's not when you want to do it and having something where you're like I have no choice but to get this book done by that. I think mm-hmm. it, that accountability absolutely can help an author. So even if you're an indie author, if you set yourself up, put that next book up for pre-order because guess what? You have to put that book up by the time the pre-order date comes. Even if you're doing it yourself, you have three or four days before the pre-order date that you have to have the revised manuscript up on KDP, for instance. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a little more than that on a couple of the other ones. Like you have no choice. If you're an indie author, do that. Put it up for pre-order so you give yourself a date. Okay, we're near the end of this particular round. Um, where do they find you, Connie? Where where, where do all the stalkers and horses <laughs> and Navy SEALs and gynecologists find <laughs> you? Oh, it's funny. I don't think uh, Navy SEALs would want to read my book. Um, I, I met a guy recently at a Navy SEAL fundraiser. He's, he's a commander on the SEAL teams. Oh, wow. This is a badass dude. He had four tours in Iraq. And he said, so, you know, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm an author. What do you write? Military romance. He goes, there is no such thing. 
I was like, <laughs> that ended that him. conversation. And here's a free copy of my book. Gotta go. Okay, love you. Bye. So um, how do they find you? You're on the social media. So yes. where are you located? I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Pinterest. Um, I'm on Amazon, obviously. My books, that's where most people buy my books, is on Amazon. And is it Connie Y. Harris? It's at? Connie Y. Harris, yeah, at whatever. Um, okay. Yeah. And do you have a website? I do. ConnieYHarris.com. And do you have a newsletter so all these epic books that are coming out people can sign up for? I'm resisting that, okay. and I'm supposed to have one, and I have even a thing on my website for it, and I've, I'm, I've resisted it, but I'm going to work on it. You're going to need to work on it. That's yeah. a, that's an Erica requirement from Drinking With Authors. You see yeah. the look on mine and Jen's faces yeah. where we're like, you need a newsletter. Yeah. Yes, that's an author thing. Well, it is amazing to have you here for this. Thank Thanks. you so much for coming. I've learned lots of stuff. Yeah, this was fun. Thank this you. was Good. a lot of yeah. fun. So, again, this was Drinking With Authors. I was your host, Erica Lance. Jan Paquette. And Connie Harris. And we will see you next time. <laughs>